What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my trusty co-host, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, how you doing, man? Doing well, man. If your DJ is using a tablet, run away. Run very far away. It's not what you want. If your DJ is unironically wearing a fedora in 2022 <laughs> might want to re- reconsider but any anyways we uh we had a i think a fun time seeing each other this weekend it's always good to get together obviously we mm-hmm. do this over zoom so always a pleasure to see you and it's always a pleasure to be talking about some great albums and some uh i think some really good movies on the podcast this week i guess i won't say every album we're talking about is great but we'll get to that in a second if you enjoy listening to Dave and I talk about these things, hit that subscribe on youtube.com slash nostalgia pod or go to twitter.com, search at nostalgia pod and follow our link tree. Give us a follow there. And on the link tree, you can follow us on any platform you want to listen to us on. Um, Dave, we have a few albums to talk about today. We're going to start with a, a smaller drop here Dochi, she, her. Black bitch, <laughs> first uh, TDE drop that she has. That's Did, right. her, I mean, her fourth EP, but fourth her EP for- debut EP on a major with TDE. And I mean, this is a, I, I think just an electric five songs. I really enjoyed all of them in in different ways, and I was really impressed with this. What was your initial response listening through? Yeah, I liked it quite a bit as well. I. Uh, really think it's a nice cap to this great breakout year that Dochi has had in 2022 after already, you know, blowing up independently on TikTok last year with Yucky Blucky Freestyle. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to this year, you get the Doja Cat co-sign, get the BET Awards performance, the XXL Freshman selection, signs the TDE. Things are moving quickly. And I think for good reason, because she's really talented, but I think on this EP does a really good job of showing the the breadth of her talent and the potential of a collab with someone like a Doja Cat, who also has many talents, is quite intriguing because they're, you can see the through line for sure. Um, yeah, I, I like this quite a bit, and I think uh, it's important that TDE found a young artist oh she's 23 found a young artist that they can hopefully anchor themselves around as their old guard continues to uh leave the label of course kendrick lamar is officially off tde SZA, who knows what happens after that second album comes out perhaps this year what we're thinking you know doshi seems to be a uh quite the find for everyone at top dog entertainment so uh definitely looking forward to hearing what's next you know the full-length debut but for just kind of a reintroduction entrance point type release i think it's pretty good yeah you talked about the the breadth of her talent on display in this ep and you can kind of just see that even in terms of the first feature and the last feature on this ep you have rico nasty on the first song swamp bitches and then you have <laughs> SZA closing out the EP with Persuasive. And mm-hmm. to be able to keep up with Rico and let Rico just 
uh, absolutely spit <laughs> on the first mm-hmm. track and then be able to sing and make a song that just sounds so perfect for SZA. And that SZA, I think, sounds wonderful. It's made me want to hear a SZA album again. Um, is just uh, incredible for someone mm-hmm. that's only 23 to be able to have that range. And then in between, you have her like switching up flows, switching up styles on every yeah. single track. You never know what to expect on this CP. And she she honestly crushes everything that she tries to do here. It's really impressive. Totally. Yeah, I think with Swamp Bitches, there's also a lot of production switch-ups on that one that I thought were a bit surprising. You get these guitars kind of coming out of nowhere on that one. But Bitch, I'm Nice, you know, she has a really, I think, really sick flow on her verses. And the chorus is like slightly different vocal performance from her. Again, just kind of showing multiple sides to what she's doing. Um, you know, I think uh, Persuasive is, which I believe was the debut TDE single when it came out without the SZA feature first. That one, I think, is was like the jumping off point for me and thinking about her in a different way, because that's a much more crossovery pop rap song the she's so persuasive that marijuana part in particular really reminds me of like Estelle's American Boy in terms of mm. the performance. And I think to get that kind of vibe from someone who also can rap as well as she does in a song like Bitch I'm Nice, like again, just just shows I think what kind of like triple threat type artist she already is. And even if her sound probably isn't as refined as it one day will be, but where we're at already is uh quite tantalizing absolutely um i I like the estelle um comparison right and to compare her performance on persuasive which with this bitch matters you know where Mm -hmm. she's really just rapping like she's just kind of in her bag there and then you go to persuasive where she's pitching herself up and she's more like sing-song rappy in that one um leading into scissor just kind of beautifully ending the the track it's really just like a interesting juxtaposition for the end of the album because you kind of see like this is an artist who you feel like could make a hundred different types of albums if they wanted to and like you said for tde just really exciting to have a talent like this that can hopefully grow on the on the label and just uh be a focal point moving forward so uh really really looking forward to see what else we get from dochi forward then to another k-pop drop girls generation all nine they're back together for the first time since 2017 and you know i we've been listening to a lot of k-pop recently forever one the seventh album from girls generation i I wouldn't say it was my favorite album that we've listened to recently but just kind of reading the story and reading how this group was kind of one of the like old guards in a way Mm -hmm. and then had all this I don't know if drama is the right word, but I guess like label drama come up and now they're back together making music and it's just really like triumphant in a sense. Mm. Totally. Yeah, no, I think uh, Girls' Generation coming back with the seventh Korean album, Forever One, they're on, on the eve of their 15th anniversary as a group is just rather uncommon in K-pop. Girls' Generation is a second generation K-pop act. We talked about this last year when Shiny came back. Usually, K-pop acts have an ending point and don't come back after they like re-up their contracts and have this like long like second life. You know, it's just it's just rather uncommon. And 
what's so interesting about this release is three of the members aren't even on SM Entertainment anymore. They did leave. They didn't come back, but they were able to make make it work with this release, perhaps showing a bit of how the K-pop industry is evolving, perhaps coming more becoming more artist friendly, who can say. But uh yeah, I think getting a getting a new album from a marquee act, their first one in five years, definitely significant. Um five years is a long time in this industry because like I think most of their fans weren't necessarily expecting this to ever happen. At least a full length comeback like this. But I will say I think this is one of my favorite K pop releases of the summer. It's been a busy one for sure, but I really honed in on the production on this album. I thought a lot of these beats were really tremendous. And I think just kind of the overall girls generation performance uh, style trademarks that they have, which involves a lot of harmonizing is just like my shit. Like that's just what I, what I'm into. So when I hear harmonizing on the, the second song, yeah. uh, Lucky like that. Lucky like that. I'm like, yep. Like th- that's all I need, bro. Like that—that's what I'm into. So maybe <laughs> and, and I'm, maybe I'm like, an easy mark for for Girls Generation, but I like this one. Lucky like that was one of the clear standouts to me from this. I think I found it to be a little bit more like up and down the album, whereas something like you know J Hope a few weeks ago was just like I think so exciting and unexpected that that kind of sticks in my mind a little bit more. But yeah, Lucky like that to go back to it, it just catches you right away with such a sticky fun mm-hmm. chorus and it just gets stuck in your head so quickly right lucky like that lucky like yeah. that and then at the end these guitars come in like it's a song from top gun maverick i was like what is going on <laughs> didn't expect this but honestly i think that that five song run there lucky like that 17 villain you better run and closer that was my favorite run of the album i liked all those songs a lot um yeah i think uh like I said, the the production really kind of kind of grabs me there. Um, whether it's the flows, whether it's like the keys, it just always kept itself interesting. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think that just uh, it just kept my it kept my attention. Seventeen has the keys, and that hook's really catchy. I like the rap that comes in towards the second half there. On villain, I think the the rap's good there as well, and then the hook is also really sticky and the beat goes like super crazy for the hook. Um, closer. I, I love the tempo on that one. There's like a really sick, like groovy bass line throughout that. Mm-hmm. Overall, I think the beats are really good. And then, you know, they don't do a ton of rapping. They're definitely not, um, that's definitely not their, their forefront, but I do think when it comes in, it's like a nice energy switch. Yeah, uh, I I do agree. I think when they do rap, the it does bring a nice like variation to the album because I I think when it's just them like singing like on something like Mood Lamp or Paper Plane, it's yeah. a little bit more traditional and they sound beautiful. Like they they harmonize beautifully together, like you mentioned before. But those songs can feel a little bit like just kind of sleepy or or just like not as interesting. You mm-hmm. mentioned um, that run and uh, Seventeen and Villain are weren't necessarily songs that I was like itching to play back but you better run i wanted to go back and listen to it again so like like right after it ended just because it is so herky-jerky and the rest of the mm-hmm. album feels so like beautifully like smooth that it really like caught my attention to have something like that but the production of that is so interesting and it really catches you and it has that heavy 
like distorted bass to it and kick drum that you really just get sucked in. Mm -hmm. I, I really liked that as like a middle of the album kind of change up. Um, but yeah, I think I think like you said, they having them back, having them operating at this high of a level is just really awesome to see and awesome to see them kind of make this work after five years. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, funny enough, like I thought Forever One, the title track, the lead single has the music video. I thought that song was totally fine, but it was really all the songs after that that I thought yeah. caught, caught my attention a lot more. And Lucky Like That's probably the the number one highlight there. Definitely. Lucky Like That is going to be on our Nostalgia Best of 2022 playlist. Why don't we move forward then to a artist that we uh, I don't think we've been able to talk about yet. Have we been able to talk about Fireboy DML on the podcast yet? No, we did have a loyal listener who watched our Burnham Boy Twice as Tall review in 2020 tell us about the second Fireboy DML album that was coming up that year, told us to get on board and listen, and we didn't take him up on his advice. And the joke wow. was on us. But we are back for Fireboy DML's third album, Playboy, Rising, Afrobeat, Star. Already has a big hit, Peru, which got the big Ed Sheeran remix. And carving out his own own space rather quickly in the uh, global scene that is Afrobeats. Yeah, it's um, it, it was really a pleasure to listen to Playboy, his newest album. I guess it's technically his third album, but first one that yeah. we're able to talk about here. And for an artist that is, you know, so new to me and, and you know, fairly young, he's 26, but I have a few albums like we mentioned. Um, I just felt like he was kind of finding something here where he was really using his Afrobeat sound, but infusing other elements from other genres really well and able to just kind of like explore his artistry in, in a really thoughtful sense. Um, even having an Ed Sheeran feature and not having it feel totally uh, like phony or fake is quite an accomplishment. So I was like, yeah, you know, what? and Ed, Ed's been do been playing around with, with the genre a lot recently. He's really mm -hmm. leaning into it. So, um, I mean, what'd you think of Playboy though? Did you like it as much as I did? Oh, I liked it a lot too. I was a big fan of Peru which had been out like six months before he got the remix to it with Ed at the end of 2021. And I like that song a lot. And thus had just a lot of anticipation for hearing more. But I just got to say, like, I think that Ed Sheeran feature is honestly one of his best in, yeah. in recent memory. Like he really fits the vibe of the song, adapts the flow. I think really adds to it too, because you're removing the second Fireboy verse to add this Ed feature. But I don't know, I think he, he sounds really awesome on that. And it's actually it's just kind of funny to hear him like talking about like making making a girl uh, climax and stuff, which is basically <laughs> what he's getting into there, you know. Yeah. But it also really I, I think it makes the Ed Burnham Boy song that we got on Love Domini even worse because of how good <laughs> his song with Fireboy is. You know, the song he yeah. just did with Burnham Boy is such a sleeper, like nothing burger. Right. But yeah. I think this song is like just a fucking banger, dude. I love this song. Yeah, Peru is a uh, clear standout to me from the album. But Dave, tell me what other elements of the album really stood out to you. Yeah, I, I think um, I think his overall like light nature of his lyrics really comes through on this. Um, the second album is a bit more uh, historical 
in terms of like Nigerian life, Nigerian culture. I don't know if you get that quite as much on this, at least from a lyrical perspective, but I thought a lot of personality still came through in terms of his, his, uh, you know, his personal life, you know, like on uh what was it? Um, uh, Ashawa. Yeah. I'm, I'm just making sure I think the right song here on, on Ashawa towards the beginning of the album. He like the, the hook there is, is so funny. He's like, if I cheat on you, I'm sorry. If you cheat on me, no worries. No worries. You know, <laughs> like I think the playboy title is, is very apt for this. And he seems to do it, uh, pretty consistently, but, uh, you know, I think melodically, like later on, like compromise is just super catchy, especially that hook. And mm-hmm. I think he does this like light feel really well. Yeah. And when you also, by nature of making Afrobeats music, have this very intriguing layered production on these songs, his performance is like really uplifted by these beats. You know, I thought um, on Afro High Life, those horns are like really noticeable mm-hmm. on, uh, on Timothy, the, the the melody is very familiar. I could not place what song it was, but it's like I, I feel like I, I know that know this tune. You know, um, uh, Bandana I think also is another big one. Um, and, and Bandana, played, yep, yeah, Bandana really stood out to me because you that chorus. You know, it's such a well. First of all, it has those guitars that kind of lull you in at the beginning, but that chorus when they have like this like communal chorus come in where it almost feels like a whole like village or like town like singing together it just feels yes. so like triumphant really beautiful and you talked about that like toned down or like light feel and i agree ashawa is like just like pure like light-hearted bliss to me i, I think that's such like a wonderful jam on this um I, I i can't find it in my notes here but there's one song where he has like these guitars kind of just like come in and out of nowhere i think it's near the back half of the album do you remember which song i'm talking no, I about don't yeah but it's it's like a really really great moment it might even be on the last one glory yeah i think it might be glory but just was so impressed yeah glory uh sorry i'm i'm now remembering that it's like right in the middle of the guitar <laughs> mm-hmm. really like kick in right after he gets out of the chorus really great um but yeah i was just really impressed with this and to have another artist in this genre that just seems to be so confident and like popping in this sense is really exciting because it feels like a genre that's just going to be dominating for the next decade or so oh for sure and as we said before everyone's eagerly awaiting the debut album from thames as well Uh regarding this sound uh yeah i also want to shout out the title track playboy i thought the the chorus in particular is very catchy and i I just really liked his rhymes in the beginning of that you know rhyming matting and mandem and anthem Uh like it just it's very catchy uh yeah, and I think uh, the West Western musical community is in a place where more than one Afrobeats star can be successful. You know, yeah, there's room for more than just Burna Boy, who's been popping for a minute now. You know, and it's exciting to see people uh, coming through those those doors. Uh, Fireboy DML did perform at BET. You know, so uh, I hope to see this uh, this continue. And you'd have to imagine that. You know, the Peru remix with Ed Sheeran really exposing Fireboy DML to people that probably wouldn't listen to this music normally. Mm-hmm. You hope that uh, fosters more fans. That would certainly be the goal. But, you know, it's not, it's also not like a, a craven feature per se. Ed has genuinely expressed his fandom and reverence for this music for several years at this point, too. So, yeah, uh, definitely 
someone to eagerly pay attention to. I think that much is obvious. Before we move on, I just wanted to ask you real quick. Diana had Chris Brown and Chensia on it. Yeah. What did you think of that track? Well, Chris Brown is a waste, like usual. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Chensia, who I believe is Jamaican, uh, made a nice impression there. I, I didn't... I didn't love that one as much from Fireboy's point of view, but I thought uh, uh, Shensia was pretty good. Yeah, I thought Shensia was great, and uh, I agree. I think she kind of steals that song. Uh, Chris mm-hmm. Brown, kind of a nothing, like you said, and I just wanted to ask you more so for the Chris Brown strays here at the end of the review, but um, the people I, I really, yeah, <laughs> I really just uh, wanted to also mention that because I think the artist that we're going to talk about in a second here also sees something in Shensia, so I think we're uh maybe mm. catching on to someone who's a rising star here but um like we said fireboy dml playboy definitely an album to listen to we'll be adding a song to our now Soldier best of 2022 playlist on spotify check that out but dave calvin harris is back our the, our long wait is over i know that you were waiting for this album right oh i was you know you met him in the summer <laughs> <laughs> well he's back in the summer baby. fell in love <laughs> five years uh, Girls' Generation and Calvin Harris both uh, had a five-year wait between albums. Can you believe that? Uh, that's good. You know, Calvin Harris hasn't been quite as uh, absent as Girls' Generation was. Of course, we had the Dua Lipa, Calvin Harris, Smash, One Kiss since then. But yeah, it's his first first full length since Funk Wave Bounces Volume 1, Summer 2017. It's been just a little bit. You know, I think that was an album that was was interesting i guess per per the standard of calvin harris to that point you know i think a slide made a huge impression was a big hit mm-hmm. due to the frank ocean performance as well as migos you know really fitting in nice i also was a big fan of cash out with the schoolboy q feature there but yeah i mean have you thought about calvin harris recently because he's he's on, on the older side of things he's in his late 30s now he's been very famous really since i think the 2010s popped off you know i think we found love with rihanna was probably the introduction point to him and then he had many of his own songs as well um you know to his credit he did sing and write on many of his songs as well like summer you know so not a complete non-entity like some djs but i mean were you like eagerly anticipating this one because i don't think of calvin harris in the way i think of like like flume or porter robinson now you know people that make really interesting unexpected electronic music that the unknown is what is appealing to you i feel like calvin harris you kind of you kind of know what you're gonna get and, and we're kind of listening to this album for the dj Khaled of it all the guests you know it, it's his production is not the star of the show on this album yeah when i when i think about calvin harris i almost kind of think of him as <sighs> drake is the artist coming to mind for me but drake probably isn't even the right comparison but just kind of like you know what you're going to get a lot of time you know especially now with drake kind of having these albums where you maybe get like a couple of good songs off them or songs you might want to play back but you kind of know what you're getting and i see calvin harris just as kind of like the like famous edm artist but not someone that's Mm. interesting like you talked about so was i anticipating this album not really like i I know that there's probably going to be a song or two that popped off of it and i liked or that i might hear a lot on tiktok or something like that i don't even know if we got like a lot of those sorts of jams on here i but i do think there's more to like on this than i was actually anticipating so i left feeling fairly pleased with this album um 
but again i i there was just some moments where i'm like this is this is edm bullshit a lot of time and i stuff i just like i just didn't even need to really ever listen to so i, I i'm interested mm-hmm. to hear what you liked or didn't like about it because i i get the sense maybe you were looking forward to this more than i was yeah no i i think they're ju- there's just some guest spots that are nice to be with nice to hear and Calvin Harris did make some ch- some choices that he deserves credit for, and then there's other songs that yeah, it's just it's just whatever. Um, you know, he's not DJ Khaled; he's more talented than that. But at the end of the day, this does kind of feel like one of those albums or a soundtrack album or something, where it's just kind of a big collection of guests, you know. And sometimes those that does that does work out, and 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 as you'd expect, there's a lot of star power on this one, so. I think you really just kind of have to evaluate the songs because there's not much of like a through line on this album. I guess the through line is the fact that his production is relatively summary in its understatedness the entire time. You know, like I guess if that was the vision, he's he's hitting it, you know, it's kind of in <laughs> sync with Funkwave Bounces Volume 1. I feel like that's just being awfully charitable though to the to the, to the music making. But uh yeah, I mean I like some of the songs. It's okay. Yeah. I actually felt like there were more moments on this that I liked than others, but I want to start with the, the moments I thought didn't really work so well because I, I really mm. feel like they stand out to me. Um, and it's, it's some of the are, are like typical culprits, right? It's like Justin Timberlake and Halsey and Pharrell together. And we didn't need a two part uh, <laughs> song with them. We didn't need Stay With Me parts one and two. We just yeah. Didn't. So uh, and, and it's the middle stay of the with album. me is interesting, dude. I think it's interesting in its why it doesn't work all the way because it's like mm-hmm. it's kind of a fascinating like miss, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what do you think it is? Because I think part of it is like Halsey's kind of like shunted to the side, just doing this hook, and I think actually doing like a pretty good job with his like intentionally like understated vocal performance. That's kind of like off type for like how she sings and stuff, mm-hmm. and like. I was like, okay, I'm kind of feeling this. I, I I get it. And then like Timberlake is doing like classic Timberlake, like song and dance man Timberlake, you know. And Pharrell's kind of you know singing like nerd Pharrell. Everything kind of tracks, but like I don't know, like it actually just isn't actually a catchy song, you know. <laughs> I think I think exactly what you said is exactly the way I thought about it. it was like. What is there anything actually like wrong about any of these performances? No, but the only one that I feel like is giving any sort of heart to this is Halsey, who's playing mm-hmm. off tight and not really like able to yeah. just like shine on this. And Pharrell and and Timberlake, I mean, uh, Pharrell it, more more so than Timberlake, I respect because he's at least doing like producing that's interesting and stuff. But oh, yeah. when it comes to their like pop songs the songs that they really try to get into the mainstream they're just all so bland and just feel so soulless and this is on top of a beat that's pretty much supposed to call you back to like 70s disco funk and it's like worrying and you know it makes you it's supposed to make you want to like keep moving but when the performances that are supposed to be driving this track feel so listless it's like oof, like you just needed some heart and i just feel like they didn't have any Right, and I, I think that's kind of the thing with an artist like Calvin Harris. It's like, lately, I, I just don't know if he can really do that, like, bring that out of his artists. Which, you know, again, like, he did sing on some of his other hits. So it's not like he has nothing going on upstairs. He is he is a producer, but 
you know, I think like conceptually, Funkwave Bounces Volume Two is just kind of like low stakes. Like that's what it's. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of ambition by design on this. So, yeah. you know, you I think like I said, you kind of have to just pick with pick what works and ignore the rest because there's really nothing else to do about this. Um, well, there's to, a few songs I like more than Stay With Me. To just um like. I guess highlight why I think that being the middle of the album really didn't work for me is mm-hmm. that I didn't love the song with Busta, Ready or Not, but no. Busta at least is like really going for it on that track, and he's really trying to like bring back some old school Busta vibes. But then the song that follows it, Somebody Else, you get just Georgia Smith just like singing so like lustily on this and with so mm-hmm. much like passion and feel that even if that song isn't one that I was like, oh, that's my favorite on this. I just feel like Georgia's performance just highlights even more like how much it felt phoned in from Timberlake and Pharrell in a sense. Mm. I was like, well, you know, if if we're going to just have these sorts of downbeat, like low key songs, I at least want to hear performances that I feel like are interesting. Um, And I I really loved hearing Georgia's voice on this. And even even uh, Lil Durk. I mean, uh, (laughs) I'm hit or miss Lil Durk, but he's at least also giving it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually thought he was pretty solid on that. I'm hit or miss Um, with him as well. But tell me about the tracks you liked. Yeah, so I like but don't love the Dua song Potion, which I believe was the first or second single, with mm-hmm. also with Young Thug, Free Thugger. Mm-hmm. I think that just kind of speaks to Dua's uh, talent right now, where that is more or less like a... That is what a phoned-in Dua performance probably sounds like. But because it's Dua Lipa, like, it actually still sounds pretty good. Like She just has enough personality in her vocals right now that it kind of uplifts the song, you know? So I was like, oh, you know what? This, this is still not that bad. Uh, and I actually think Th- Thug and her kind of fit well on the same track. Um, yeah. That was a nice pairing of two guests. So does that hit the, the highs of one kiss? Absolutely not. But, you know, I think for a, a, a do a feature, it's, it's totally, it's good enough, I guess, you know? Yeah, I, I had the same feeling on it. I was like, well... I don't really love the track, but Dua just sounds great. And I feel like she always just sounds great nowadays. So I, I think that's the right take. She's just operating at a high level. A couple of songs later, you get your guy Booth. What did you think of his performance? Well, I think that's probably the best. That's probably the moment of brilliance from Calvin Harris when he's pitching down the Charlie Puth vocals. That's yeah. not that, that wasn't natural, I don't think. No. But I, I thought that one sounded really good. Um and again, just longing, longing for my guy Puth to drop another album. My guy, it's coming. It's please, coming. please. Yeah, no, I, I thought that was a, that was a cool choice. To um, you know, I was trying to place. So I was like, huh, is this like? Because like you know, it's like it's a deeper register than how Charlie sings. I'm like, what is this? Like, what is he calling back on here? I was like, is this like? I was like Rick Springfield, George Michael. Like I, I was just kind of like going through people trying to find reference points. I couldn't really do it, and I thought about it more. I was like, oh wait, this is probably just um, produced. That's why it sounds like this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I like that one. And the song before that, "Woman of the Year," I liked quite a bit as well. I thought Chloe Bailey sounded really good on that, and then Coyla Ray actually really impressed me with her her rap. I thought it fit the production well, and you know, she's someone that I think is very up and down as a rapper right now but i thought her personality actually kind of shone through that one definitely surprised me 
Yeah, that that wasn't one that necessarily caught my ear, but I thought it it sounded all right. Um, you know, it's interesting because I think the song I like the most is probably the last track, uh, day one, just because I feel like when Pusha comes in to close out the album, it just <laughs> really hits, and also the first track with Twenty One. I just thought they both actually sounded really great and. It might uh, that might just speak more to them as artists who can come on and give a feature and just absolutely crush yeah. it at this at this point. But I really liked those two tracks a lot. So um, I thought Twenty One sounded good, but I actually think he doesn't sound good on that kind of beat. Hmm. I, I I thought it was a really weird feel, and it it almost felt like inauthentic to Twenty One Savage's sound, where it's like you copy and paste this 21 first you got onto this beat. It just sounded odd to me, you know, and it's really nothing to do with 21 Savage. I just don't think that's like the kind of production I want to hear from him. You know, he notably, that's not a trap beat. He can be on other stuff, but I don't know about this one. Like it just, he, it almost felt like the beat was kind of uh, like holding him down, I guess. Hmm. I don't know. Hard to say, but. Again, Twenty One Savage is just so, so hot right now, just operating yeah. at such a high level that even if I don't think the production is a good match, it's still he can still have the song be at a high enough floor that it's you know still mostly mm-hmm. successful. Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, I actually like the song um, after Obsessed, the Charlie Puth song "New to You" with Normani and Tanache. Tanache yeah. um, Offset's also on that one. He's all right. But I really liked Normani and Tanache just playing off each other in that. And they really flow with the beat really well. And uh, I guess just like one more track I wanted to get, I wanted to see how you felt about was Lean On Me with Sway Lee. You know, we've been waiting for the Ray Schremer to come back, getting them yeah. in bits and pieces here and there. Yeah, I'm kind of over Sway Lee singing. Me too. I, I hated that track, man. Yeah. <laughs> that was my least favorite on the album by far. Yeah. Um. I can't wait for him to rap again on Strum Life 4. Coming soon. He's actually going to? Well, at least a single. And he did. You know? A little bit. And and, and Jimmy actually had a slightly different flow. You know, a bit more melodic. So it's like, I, I think he'll still sing plenty. Obviously, Sunflower kind of changed the trajectory of his career. But yeah, I think that... that, that a song like that kind of shows like the limits of Sway Lee when he sings. Mm-hmm. And... Again, Calvin Harris isn't really doing anything to help Sway Lee out on that song, you know? No, definitely not. Um, yeah, I mean, I think overall it's like, this didn't change my opinion of Calvin Harris. I don't know if anything really could have at this point. He seems pretty comfortable just being who he is, which is a very successful EDM producer and, and music song maker. But again, it's like, okay, it's pop EDM. It is what it is at this point. That's right. Anyways, we're going to be adding probably one song to our Now Nostalgia Best of 2022 playlist. So again, go follow that on Spotify. But we're going to switch it up from music to movies. And we're going to be talking first about Luck, which just dropped on Apple Apple TV Plus this past weekend. And uh, Dave, I mean, we, we've talked about a few animated movies on here before. Would you say that, that this was something Apple kind of needed? Because I don't know if they've had, like, the super successful animated movie, have they? Well, they acquired Wolf Walkers, if you remember, right. which was Oscar-nominated. But Luck is the first film, as part of a new strategy, 
from Apple, which would be this partnership they have with Skydance Animation. This is the first uh, film from Skydance Animation, and they have another one uh, coming later in the year. And they have, you know, Skydance, you know, the the Ellisons, you know, they got a lot of money and they're really trying to blow out uh, Skydance Animation. They got Brad Bird actually signed on to make his next movie, of course, the director of the Incredibles, among other things, you know, they're, they're, the Zootopia director has joined up now, bringing in a lot of talent. And I think that was made clear a few years ago when uh, David Ellison hired John Lasseter to run Skydance Animation. This is the first release uh, after that. Of course, John Lasseter, the founder, former creative force at Pixar until he left uh, during uh, the height of Me Too. And this is his kind of return to professional life. So, yeah, I think Apple, well, we don't know exactly the terms of this deal, but they seem to have a long deal established with Skydance Animation. So it's kind of a the first foray from, from both parties, Apple and Skydance, regarding animation. So um, I, I'm actually just more interested in seeing how that plays out more than, you know, being super interested in the movie luck itself. But uh, it's definitely an industry story to watch. But uh, I mean, what did you think? Were you uh, anticipating this uh, streaming release from 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 Apple? You know, we've had a Lightyear was a bit a uh, bit middling, but Turning Red was on streaming earlier in the year, and that was a banger. So I think uh, and Minions has been a big hit in theaters. So I wonder how many kids are really gonna get this show in front of them. You know, Apple not the most subscribed to service after all. Um. Yeah. Was I anticipating this? I don't, wouldn't say I was anticipating it, but I feel like I had seen maybe um a trailer or two, and I definitely was intrigued by it. I, I was really just struck in going back to Skydance and just their overall style, just like how familiar the movie felt. And I think that's because they were definitely pulling styles from a lot of well-known movies animated in this style. I mean, if if you look at some of the characters and you look at some of the the ways that they made things look it's kind of hard when you see the pigs to not think of like sing or sing too you know when when you see the big dragon mm. how do you not think back to shrek and the the big pink dragon from shrek you know and so it feels like in a sense there was like this desire with this film which i, I actually think is a really enjoyable little flick but it seems like they're probably strategically thinking we want to make this feel a little bit more lived in and familiar than something completely new. And which I, I don't know if that's like the worst move ever. It's just definitely a choice. See, even people that were kind of in my house kind of coming in and out watching the film were like, oh, is, is this like something I've seen before or what is this? And they were mm -hmm. kind of noting that they the characters felt like they, they'd seen them in something else. Yeah, well, you know. Lasseter has a long history, <laughs> so he, not that he was animating this himself, of course, but he mm -hmm. gave a lot of notes. And um, it's actually funny because Luck was already underway when Lasseter was hired, and then he kind of jumped jumped on board. So it took a little while for them to get to this, but uh, at least people weren't uh, super overworked animating this. I think they they took their time releasing Luck, which is good to hear, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I mean, did what what you so you thought it thought it was enjoyable. I thought it had a really intriguing setup. And then once we got to the land of luck itself, 
I really started to get lost in the just the kind of never-ending like exposition and, and list of MacGuffins regarding the Land of Luck. I, I just thought it it got a bit too convoluted. It was just kind of unnecessary. Not that I wasn't following it, but I was like, mm-hmm. you're getting a little overcomplicated, I think. And I, you know, for, for young kids, they'll probably just appreciate the, the zaniness of all that, you know? But right. But for me, I thought I thought it just kind of frantically brought us around, and the cat is just constantly explaining something new to us about the land of luck, and there's like no time for the characters to actually be the characters, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I agree. I, it definitely is convoluted. There's a ton of MacGuffins in it, like you said, and I also think luck is trying to thread the needle in a couple of different ways. Obviously, it's a kids movie. Um, animated in that sense kind of would insinuate that usually but the main character Sam is a young adult who's transitioning from uh, being a child into an adult and you're kind of with her as she's struggling to like get get her feet on the ground and feel settled Mm -hmm. Um, and so while I think like there's some themes for kids I think it definitely is trying to do the the Pixar like a dual movie type of thing and I think that's where the like convolutedness really starts to seep out because I, I think as a kid watching this you kind of see the cat explaining stuff and you're like wow look how cute that cat is and look <laughs> look how like funny it is to see him like driving the car or, like um see them like pulling off these hijinks but when you're like okay so how long has the little girl at the home been waiting for this visit to happen and how many times can we have something else go wrong with good luck and bad luck and they you know, this kid's still waiting. It's like, I, I, I don't know. Something feels like a little off there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think it was just fun to like be exploring this idea, which I think is like, mm. I think it's pretty smart. Like, I agree. I think the setup to the movie is really great. And I have to say, the ending, when they're kind of deciding like, or especially when Bob the cat is deciding where he wants to live, it got me, man. Heartfelt. Got a little, uh, got a little dusty in the old Sheen household over here. Cause, nice. Uh, it, it, it hit, it hit me right in the heartstrings, and I, I, I would say it was pretty successful to me in that, that case. And also, I can just see the toys, right? Can't you see the, the Bob the Cat toy being sold at Christmas? Can't you? Well, see I, I was reading about Skydance, uh, staffing up a, uh, merchandising, uh, department for all intents and purposes. So. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked about that. Jerry um, the Leprechaun, that that cute looking little guy. Come on, sure. Go come get your uh, luck pennies and your crystals and your exactly all the other stuff that's there. <laughs> yep, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think over, it's okay. It, it's um, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to their next movie. I think it's called Spellbound. I believe it is, and of course the Brad Bird movie will be must watch once that comes out as well for obvious reasons, but. Yeah, I mean, I'll also be interested to see how um, how Hollywood continues to receive Lasseter, because that was a very controversial hire at the time. I don't know if it's quite as hot now. You know, he's someone who, you know, committed misconduct, but also didn't actually do anything like super criminal, never paid anyone off. You know, there's levels to it. Evaluate it. Um, make your own opinion, of course. But, you know. Larry Ellison's wealth and David Ellison are wealthy enough that they don't really give a fuck, right? They're like, here's our opportunity to make our animation division. We got lucky that this 
talented guy was available to be hired, and that's what they did. So probably got to see a few more to see how successful Skydance Animation will be, but I think this is a solid first step. Apple TV Plus has been around for, what, like three years now, would you say? Yeah, I want to end of... End of 2019, I think it was, came out, something like that. Uh, yeah, the how fall, you, right. How, how would you grade them so far in terms of just kind of getting the platform up and running? Well, I, I think Apple is really should only be judged against Amazon because they can, they only could, they have no like restrictions. It's all about how much money they want to spend, but they have the money, you know. Right. Um, Apple can use it as a loss leader. They don't really give a shit. So. Lest we forget, they did win Best Picture with Coda just this year. So I think, um, you know, Apple TV Plus has been very uh, I think inconsistent in breaking through culturally. You know, um, Ted Lasso was a huge hit. Pachinko wasn't a huge hit, but was critically well received. You know, uh, For All Mankind seems to have really grown. So they're they're getting there. You know, I think um, movie wise, though, it's definitely been very up and down apart from Coda. So. Definitely curious to see if this can break through, given that this is targeted for kids. And, you know, I think um, parents don't think of Apple TV Plus for their kids programming. We know that. Yeah, I, I would say that Apple has done. Uh, I agree. I think it's hard to like judge them against something like Netflix. But I think Apple has done a, a really good job, actually, of like setting themselves up to build a library that is mm-hmm fairly deep you know and and varied and I, I i like that they're building out this aspect of their library now as well we're gonna be talking about for all mankind next week which i've been really enjoying so far this season so um i i would say that they're doing a pretty good job it's hard for these new streaming platforms to really like get in and and really be competitive and apple like you said has the resource to do it but i think has also been making things that are are worthy of being talked about and lauded so definitely uh would give them a good grade but i think lux a a fine addition to that catalog probably not one we're going to be talked about end of year but still worthy so let's uh move forward though to something that's definitely worthy of being talked about dude that's hulu's newest movie a prequel to the predator uh movies prey Ooh, man, where did this where did this come from? Because uh, this is this movie blew me away. Did you have the same experience? Let's fucking go, dog. This <laughs> is the second best Predator movie. It's incredible. I I was just totally taken by this, and you know, stylistically, I think there's a lot to talk about. But mm-hmm. I just from from the second like the movie starts, you're sucked in, and it yeah. just kind of keeps going and going until you get this amazing ending um yeah talk to me about like what really worked for you with this yeah well i think you kind of just have to think about the whole conception of prey which is you know as the fifth mainline predator movie not kind the two alien vs predator movies this is the one that's most stripped back most basic and it really takes its time getting to its destination you know, you had a really astute hire in Dan Trachtenberg, who basically did this once before with 10 Cloverfield Lane back in 2016, a movie that was basically a character thriller that also happened to be inside a Cloverfield movie. Prey is a coming of age adventure slash chase movie 
that happens to be with the Predator. You know, it. I think Trachtenberg with these two movies has really shown the highs that can be achieved within franchise IP movie making if you have the uh, storytelling ambition to basically graft another movie into this. Because let's be honest, a movie about a Comanche woman coming of age via a hunt probably wasn't getting financed unless it happened to also have the Predator in it, unfortunately. Right. But, you know, that doesn't mean you can't do a really good job within that IP landscape. And I, I think that's what just makes it so heartwarming. It is a bit disappointing that this movie was basically relegated to Hulu when the summer has been late for films. Bullet Train came out. There's really nothing left to come out this summer. This probably could have made some money at the box office. Not that Predator has been a gigantic franchise, but it, you know, this, this has been getting raves. You, you would have thought people would have seen this. But regardless, a lot of people will get to see it now on Hulu, and that'll probably reinvigorate the franchise in a certain respect. So, yeah, I, I, I was just really taken with how much it was interested in apart from the Predator of it all. And it's it just a sophisticated movie, you know? The last Predator movie, the Shane Black's The Predator from 2018, is a really dumb, goofy one. I, I liked it quite a bit, but it's like a really messy, all-over-the-place movie, you know, with a bunch of famous people in it. And there's a place for that, but there's certainly also a place for Prey. And like I said, I think I think it's the second-best Predator movie after the first one, pretty easily. It's um, so impressive to see um, to see Thrachenberg take this franchise, which I think in a lot of ways has kind of felt like played out in a sense. Like you talked about the last one. Uh, honestly, when I heard that there's another like movie in the this franchise coming, I was like, okay, I guess I guess we'll talk about. It. I guess we'll do it. But to really put some like this new twist on it and um, to take this and put it in such a period setting that feels so realistic and lived in and um you know has these twists and turns but that are all so authentic and like well thought out to the time i really loved how it goes from being um N naru the uh, main character played by amber midthunder who you might know mm -hmm. from like legion which we love yes. um she has a, a smaller part in that but a, a part that is definitely memorable um and you see her kind of learning the predator's moves and kind of figuring this out and you she kind of is starting to get her groove and then she gets taken by these french explorers yeah the trappers and, uh, yeah fur trappers and the movie just from there kind of takes this like twist and really like elevates and stylistically it really elevates too cuz you go from being in this really wooded natural looking area to this this gray misty ashen mm. uh setting um which i yeah. think just adds this real cool stylistic element to the story and then from there the you, you get the predator just ever present because they're trying to actively catch this this mm -hmm. alien and it just really takes off from there really loved that and i also just felt like i felt like certain parts of it were kind of telegraphed like when she gets stuck in the mud there's really no other reason for her to get stuck in the mud other than to be like, oh, this is going to come back later to how she probably kills the Predator. But still, I think a really cool moment is seeing her mm -hmm. like figuring these things out and just kind of like yeah. piecing everything together as this young warrior was really cool. 
Yeah, totally. I really like how they paid a lot of that that stuff for it overall. You know, I think the they do a good job with the dog. It's a good movie dog yeah. performance here. <laughs> um and just in general, like her her coming of age, her picking up on skills, like they, they, they pay a lot of things off. And I like how the movie starts at a much more uh constrained, if you will, pace where she is, you know, taking her time and ultimately failing on this like you know, hunt challenge that is kind of bestowed on people to prove themselves. And I, I thought her uh, her brother, played by uh, D- Dakota Beavers, was also quite mm-hmm. great as well. And the way they, I think, really slow play the Predator. The Predator's kind of learning the lay of the land as well. And it, you know, whether it's just via the sound design with, while well, he's invisible, building up to this whole th- chase with the bear when he fights mm-hmm. the bear, you know? They also do a, a lot of a lot of fun stuff visually with uh, the in, invisibility uh, yeah. being shown via the the blood covering the predator, or when like the ash is flowing and it's like flickering into him. Like, mm-hmm. not that we haven't seen some of that stuff before in other predator movies, but I think just like the visual language like felt really consistent, and I think it's a really solid like coming of age arc, you know, and. I think the way the predator gets defeated at the end is very satisfying, you know, using yeah. the uh, using the helmet, uh, the targeting system. You know, I, I thought that was sick. Um, there is the uh, Easter egg at the end with the uh, old revolver from the past predator movies, which is, I guess is cool there for fans. But like, I, I didn't really need any of that at all. I think just the whole uh, hunter be hunted thing. It's a very familiar archetype, and I, I think it's just really satisfying to watch. Noru would pull this off, you know, and her brother's like sacrifice, like it feels really earned, you know, like yeah. that moment that that's all really good. Everything with the trappers too, watch watching them get fucking slaughtered, like it's great, you know. And I think yeah. it, it it's it's really a bit of a action adventure more than anything else. There's not a whole lot of like sheer terror, you know. That's not really that's not really what the predator is about. It's, it's really an action franchise, and I think they they just do a good job job with this. I I also would be remiss not to mention that like this is a movie that had you know representation of native culture on its mind we had people behind the scenes of producing side uh, along that of course uh indigenous cast including our star here uh there's even a comanche dub available on hulu which is amazing and i actually kind of want to check that out to be honest uh that's i bet that would sound awesome um but you know you don't get native stories told all that often in general let alone told in this way where they are the heroes and it's not just some cliche old west thing we've seen before so uh like i said you probably don't get this story at all without the predator being in here but regardless i think the fact that they have this opportunity they really uh met the challenge and that's awesome yeah uh you you beat me to it but i really felt like this was very thoughtful and authentic to um you know indigenous uh tribes and uh their cultures and i really appreciated the like infighting of the the like gender dynamics right how Mm -hmm. she's trying to prove herself and and her brother knows that she is but there's still this like masculine hierarchy within the tribe and a lot of the other guys you know like the part where she she's uh, tied up her wrists are tied up her hands are tied up and the 
predator shows up and the other guys are fighting her or fighting the predator and just like watching them all get slaughtered and her kind of like get away and, and like start to figure out like how the predator really works in terms of killing i thought was all like really cool but also like really like devastating especially because that leads to her getting caught by the fur trappers and then having that whole like dynamic too of like the the yep. white settler kind of pushing these indigenous people out mm-hmm. of their land was also just like present and felt so so real you know and since like yeah. and, can we say like how if that's actually how things were you know probably in some sense probably not in some yeah. sense but yeah really... i was thinking about i was for the first half of the movie i was like huh are we gonna see any white people in this because they tell you it's like early 1700s you know or like yeah it's like pre-french and indian war there wasn't a whole lot of settlement out west yet so it actually makes sense that they're actually not they're people passing through basically to to trap so and the french at that so i think it actually it actually makes sense where it kind of it's still kind of like the prime of native life in a certain sense and you get to see that kind of uncompromised way of life still before of course we know what happens with everything all these colonists so um yeah i think uh i think i think there's did a really good job you know i think i think the way everything kind of lays out like all the beats are really satisfying and the build-up is so great whether it's red herring or just taking their time to set things up like even like something simple like like she attaches like a homemade you know rope to her tomahawk to like retrieve it you know and like it just sets up like awesome action later but it's like you're just kind of along on this journey it's like a whole progression for the character i think it's quite satisfying and of course, there, there, there are always these people online, seemingly when it's about female characters, where uh, people questioning that she could have defeated the Predator as if these people have never watched movies before where the good guy wins. You know, it's like just such a dog shit opinion. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, also to like to be so reductive in terms in thinking that it was really about the strength like because clearly ter- not <laughs> yeah in terms of what 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 helped her win was that her observance and her ability to like mm-hmm. watch and like learn these the the predators tactics and the way that it hunted and the way that it's li- mm-hmm. lived and, and fought um rather than kind of like her her counterparts yeah. who just were trying to go full strength at this thing when uh it obviously is not on their level it's so far above them so i i thought that was actually really appealing but you know misogyny is all everywhere so not, mm-hmm. not surprised that there's some people saying that um yeah just real quick for for mid thunder i mean this is a really great look do you do you yeah. think she'll start getting some more work from this oh i'd imagine so yeah i'd imagine so she's quite young still i think she's 25 mm-hmm. um and she's i think been vocal in press for prey where she hasn't wanted to do more stereotypical native roles she didn't want to go to she didn't want to go to Disney Channel when she was younger, you know. She's, but I think now she's going to have more of a choice of projects for sure, um, yeah. because she also has the Legion work on her belt as well, which I think was a great look for different reasons. So yeah, definitely looking forward to seeing what's next from her. Um, you have to imagine the warm reception to this movie, and what I'm sure we'll see in the streaming data later. Predator will continue in some fashion. Oh yeah. Do you think? they do a sequel to this because i'm not so sure about that i i think the the uh, self-contained version of the predator movies is quite effective because not that anything narratively was like 
unexpected we haven't seen before but it's more so that like these setups these premises for films with like coming of age and hunter be hunted all that stuff is so familiar because it's so good when it's done well you know Mm -hmm. i don't think you have to overthink it that much you know and i actually kind of like this more or less one-on-one story with the predator which is a bit different than a lot of the other ones we've got where it's often a big group of people getting picked off one by one like in the first predator movie so um you know i can't imagine trachtenberg would dan trachtenberg would sign up to do this again because he hasn't done that for anything else to this point but um yeah i mean what do you think they're gonna keep it small for the next predator movie uh i I hope they do i kind of hope they they take this and are like why don't we just try different time periods and putting the like right. predator in that and see how it goes or different like parts of the world and seeing how that might mm. go and I, I think that could yeah. be really really interesting um and i i agree with you i think if we were to go back to something more traditional something like even goofier not as serious i'd probably be like you know like that feels like right. a step backwards i think they really have a concept here that can be replicated right. just kind of moving the pieces around so yeah. really hope Impo- they go important to note this is from 20th century studios now owned by disney but prey was greenlit after disney controlled fox so you know whether this would have always come out on hulu who can say that might be pandemic related um budget related i don't really know but yeah i'm sure they're gonna they're gonna want to continue it in some way let's let's forget a Ember Thunder, of course, worked on Legion with creator Noel Hawley. Noel Hawley is expected yeah. to be developing a Alien series for FX after he does Fargo season five. Predator is, you know, the other side of that coin from the franchise franchise wise, you know. So we'll be hearing more from men. Hopefully, next time Disney puts it out in theaters is my my hope. Yeah, Mid Thunder's action shops, I think, are going to really buoy her opportunities moving forward. And mm-hmm. I think just then her dramatic side will be able to come out more and more. We, we didn't even really talk too much about that, but the action, this is great. Like you mentioned that scene where her and her brother are going like the two of them versus the Predator and he kind of sacrifices himself for her. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I thought that was just an electric action yeah. scene. Just really great. Oh, totally. Totally. I, I love the scene where um, all the other guys in her tribe get slaughtered by the predator yeah. when she's tied up you mentioned i think that one's really good um and even the wildlife stuff too chasing the deer running from the bear all that stuff's awesome of them even the mountain lion in the beginning you know i, I it feels like such a lived in place you know and like when she's like kind of like going out tracking and like away from camp for like days at a time it's just everything feels so real you know and then when you have these moments of like awesome action it's like you like it's like you've earned it, you know, because you didn't just rush from set piece to set piece. There's all these journeys going on. It, yeah, it's just, it's a blast. So I think everyone's going to come out better for it. Mid Thunder, the Predator franchise, Dan Trachtenberg, Dakota Beavers. It, only W's here. Only W's, that's right. So check out uh, Prey on Hulu if you have it. And if not, get someone's password and sign and watch. It's really worth Fuck it. Yeah. Let's move forward, though, to Brad Pitt's return. Since Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he's back on the big screen, baby, uh, in Bullet Train. Um, you know, Dave, uh, Bullet Train is interesting because it feels like it has so many elements that I should really love. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of let this movie be like, oh, OK, like that was OK. It has yeah. a lot of good actors. David Leach is a you know pretty good director, I'd say. Um it has like a, a setup that I'm very familiar with and, and a type of genre that I'm very familiar with. 
why didn't I love it? Yeah, I think that's a good question. There's a lot going on with Bullet Train, and that's probably the reason, you know. And actually, I think technically Brad Pitt's last movie was Ad Astra, which came out a few months after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but both 2019. Um, You're right. And yeah, and and Brad in general, you know, very active with Plan B as a producer these days. But when you do get him uh, as an actor, it's obviously such a gift because he is just such a charismatic leading man. And it does sound like he wanted to just kind of have some fun after Ad Astra and Hollywood you know, got his Oscar. Now he can just lay off some steam. And David Leach, I didn't know this, was actually Brad Pitt's former stuntman for several years. Oh. Um, from Fight Club on to Mr. and Mrs. Smith. He worked with him many times. And David Leach, of course, co-directed John Wick in his first feature role. Co-directed that with Chad Stahelski, who, of course, was Keanu Reeves' stuntman back in the day for The Matrix. Mm-hmm. So has been cool to see Stahelski and Leach really rise up as big-time directors coming from the stunt world. That's awesome. Uh, and Leach, Leach has definitely been the one spreading his wings a bit more in Stahelski, right? Because he's been making all kinds of shit since he mm-hmm. co- co-made John Wick 1. He had Deadpool 2 and Atomic Blonde and Hobbs Fast and Shaw. And, Furious, yep. and now now Bullet Train. He's kind of going all over the place, right? And I was a bit disappointed in the, in the action. I, it wasn't quite... It doesn't wow you as much as you'd expect from someone with his credentials but i think the biggest sin of bullet train is just that it's an awfully messy script you know like if this movie was a bit simpler a bit closer to its actual log line of a bunch of assassins are on the same train and they start killing each other if that's like really what we got i think it would just be a lot more entertaining but there's just like so much plot going on in bullet train that's just very unnecessary you know part of that is like myriad flashbacks for characters myriad characters introduced at the 11th hour and then given backstory it's just like there's just a little too much going on for my taste in bullet train but there are certain moments that i enjoy quite a bit i thought aaron taylor johnson in particular his performance as a tangerine uh he, he was unhinged and aaron taylor johnson he's been doing this for a few years now every time he gives a performance it's balls to the wall i love it you know but other characters, they're just not given enough time or they're just hamstrung in, you know? So I think it's a very uneven movie, which left me disappointed because I had a lot of hype for this. Brad Pitt and David Leach, you know, that, that that should sell itself. But yeah, it's just a bit messy. Yeah, it almost felt a bit like Guy Ritchie, like karaoke in a sense, yeah, you know, geez. like just a lot <laughs> of like characters going like in these weird directions and kind of like trying to make all these pieces fit together and then it just get you know the, the third act just goes completely off the rails i felt like and um <laughs> you know it's it's a bit disappointing because i feel like characters like or actors like brian tyree henry uh zazie beats um who is i think is one, one of those characters who's who falls victim to what you talked about kind of being introduced so quickly and then being out of the movie so quickly um this is like some of their best looks in terms of like, or at least biggest looks, I guess, in terms of parts. And um, I, I, I just didn't feel like they really captured me at all. And um, another movie that came to mind for me in this, uh, when while watch this was Lucky Number Eleven. Um, oh God! Yeah. From way back, and oh five. I, I think, yeah, I, I think that, I think that elements of this, in some ways. Uh, bite on that like 
too much like the oh who is like really the the what whatever the russian guy was uh, the, the white elder, death the white death right thank you and then when it was michael shannon i just like I was blown away. I could not Gotta believe say, he was accent work there. Not the best from our not guy, at Mike. all. Not <laughs> Big even... Michael Shannon fan, but that wasn't it. <laughs> not even close. I was like, when it when it ended up being him, I was like, oh no. Um, it just uh, it just felt like familiar in some ways, but not even really in good ways. Yeah. Um, I I did. I I was like intrigued by Pitt's performance because he's kind of doing. Um, He's kind of doing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but also in like a more like anxious, neurotic type character as well, which I don't mm-hmm. can't even ever remember him ever being in a movie. So I thought it was like a different yeah. twist for him. But in the end, he's just Brad Pitt. And it's like, oh, you're just super charismatic and you flash that smile and say something witty. And I'm like, oh, you're a movie star. Right. And I think I think the issue with that is like there's just so much tonal inconsistency throughout Bullet Train, throughout individual performances that. I don't know if Pitt does the Pitt performance, which is good, but like that Pitt performance isn't actually good enough to anchor a movie like this that is going all over the place. Yeah. Scene to scene, you know? Um, like I loved Aaron Taylor Johnson. I had Brian Tyree Henry's performance started to grow on me. Not my favorite work from him, but you know, I, I think he also struggled a little bit with the British accent at times, but um, I did start to chuckle at the, uh, motif of Thomas the Tank Engine <laughs> continued to come up. Uh, but, I mean, couldn't help but notice that we're, we're in Japan and even our long-awaited antagonist is a white guy, you know, a Russian. It's like, you completely sideline Andrew Koji and uh, Hiroki Sonata. Sonata, obviously a titan of uh, Japanese cinema and koji who is one of the most accomplished martial arts performing actors we have these days neither of them gets to do fucking much of anything i mean when i saw koji got cast in this like last year or whenever it was i was excited as fuck you know he's uh shown off his skills on a the the i think it's a star show warrior like he's a stud you know and he just kind of gets to be this grieving like what blanket dad character and it's like God, you're just wasting this guy, you know. Yeah. Um, and even at the end, when yeah. he, him and uh, him and his dad uh, end up beating the White Death, it's like they don't really even really do that much to beat him. It's like it's just kind of disappointing. Um, it, you know, a, a couple of characters I wanted to ask about, just kind of your opinion. Uh, Prince, played by Joey King. Well, how did you like her performance in this? Yeah, that one. It grew on me a bit by the end. I just didn't love that character. Yeah, you know it's not really her fault, but I think Joey King is. She hasn't really been in anything I've liked to this point. She blew up with the Kissing Booth on Netflix several years ago, but Mm -hmm. since then I haven't really been taken with anything from her. But yeah, I think it's okay. The performance is just the the character itself is 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 kind of annoying. Um, you, you have a trio of cameos: Sandra Bullock. Channing Tatum and Ryan Reynolds, technically, you know, Tatum really playing uh, the hits like he has recently with his comeback, like in the Lost City. Um, And I guess that synergy is kind of funny where Brad Pitt has a cameo role in the Lost City starring Bullock and Tatum. And now we have the reverse here. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, the reveal that his handler was played by Sandra Bullock at the end. I, I didn't recognize her voice in the moment beforehand. I was like, oh, that's cool, I guess. But I've already met 20 fucking people in this movie. Like, it, it doesn't actually, you know, hit in yeah. that way. Um, were you satisfied with, like, the train of it all? Like, no, you know, it's, it's a bullet train, a, Sh- a Shinkansen bullet train, obviously modern, uh, marvel of modern engineering very efficient you know all that stuff i don't know it 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 felt a little bit still like a generic movie on a train to me i kind of wanted more more spice i guess the best part about that was they only stop at a station for one minute that seemed to kind of add tension but i gotta say like the whole plot with the white death i thought sucked like i just didn't care Yeah. yeah i agree um and and the train of it all i mean when you have a train movie i think it's you, know, you get people together, but also have like separate cars. So there's kind of like the separation if necessary. But this, I just had no idea like where they were on the train at different points, like how they got to different places. There's like animals caged in some cars, which I thought was like a strange thing. I didn't really understand where other passengers were. And you kind of come to find out that the White Death like buys out the rest of the seats or something like that. Or maybe it's the other guy. Maybe it's the elder. Yeah. I can't remember. Right. Um, but it's just like it just felt like so random like oh there are people here when we want to do a, a gag between brian tyree henry and brad pitt about like beating each other up but trying to be quiet about it but then <laughs> they're just like gone yeah when you don't it's pretty convenient right. you know i i guess the best part about the train was brad pitt using the like sophisticated toilet to like blow dry his hair <laughs> <laughs> and like dodging the bidet stream and stuff i guess that was amusing um i actually didn't recognize her but karen fukuhara from Suicide Squad, from the boys, she was like the concession girl, the crew member pushing, yeah, pushing the the cart. Um, would have liked to see more of her. Um, I don't know. You have Bad Bunny in this. You guys, this whole say. this whole backstory, which I felt like you didn't need. You know, it's like, I I don't know if you need to set this stuff up. You know, think of like when in John Wick three, uh, John Wick kills Boban Marjanovic, the NBA player. You know, we didn't need to get the the backstory of Boban. We just look and we see that's fucking Boban and we know who he is and it's cool to see him get killed by John Wick. It would have been cool to watch Bad Bunny have an awesome fight and then die. I didn't need like all this backstory. Yeah, I, I, com- I completely agree. Or if you're going to give him that much backstory, let him live a little longer. Let him have a bigger yeah. role. Make him I a real was, character. You know, I was a little bit confused as to why he was having his wedding in Japan, too. Like, was that explained? Did I miss that? Was it in Japan? I mean, he gets on the bullet train, right? Oh, I don't know. In... Yeah, I, th- I don't know how far in the past that was. I I assume that was somewhere else. Oh, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Like that was like get... on a different job and stuff. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, not sure. But wait, but he's. I, I thought he stumbled onto the train, like with the blood still on him, right? And they had just. I, I don't know. No, Maybe I don't I think he. Confused. I think he was wearing the bloodstained suit still, but he was clearly intentionally like going there after. Gotcha, uh, Ladybug okay. after Pit. Gotcha. Uh, okay, yeah. I, I I was confused by that part, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I was kind of just disappointed by that because I I when I saw him, I was like, oh, maybe he's actually going to get some star shine here, but it really was like ten minutes of the movie, and then he's out. Right. Um, I, I did think it was kind of cool to see the like backstory of him, and I feel like there's like a movie. There could have been a movie there, you know, but um, I, I, they pretty much showed everything. I can't imagine they're going to go back and remake that. Um, so I don't know. Do, do you think this is a movie that they could set up for a sequel? I mean, everybody's alive. You got the Pit Bullock combo. 
they wanted. Yeah, it'd be interesting. You know, I think the performance of this movie would be very uh, important to that. Um, it has a chance to, in terms of how it opened, like thirty million, it has a chance to leg out to a hundred the way the Lost City did, and if the international gross is high enough, maybe. But I, I'd think not. I don't think Brad Pitt did this movie to sign up for a, a franchise per se. So, you know, yeah, honestly, the Bad Bunny spinoff would have been one of the better concepts had he still been around. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I don't know. I feel like you've you've played it out at this point. Yeah, you know, I agree with, with the train crashing and everything happening. But like, it was also such a contrived story with so much excessive detail as we've been saying that i feel like they would feel compelled to deliver that level of plot once again and that would not be appealing to me so you know not exactly the movie i'd wanted it to be but not a complete uh waste either you know it's it's nice to be with many of these actors that's for sure i I, I like just about everyone in this movie totally agree totally agree we're gonna wrap up there for this week though so what do we got for next week well, speaking of movies, there's a very intriguing A24 horror comedy coming out called Bodies, 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 with a bunch of notable people in it, including Pete Davidson. Uh, also, a, a Sundance release that was very well received starring Aubrey Plaza hits theaters called Emily the Criminal, about a uh, scammer. And then on the music side of things, we have uh, 88 Rising's own Nikki dropping another album, as well as a new record from Hudson Mohawk, which would be very interesting to contrast with the Calvin Harris album we just heard. And then on TV, we have the conclusion of For All Mankind Season 3 and the conclusion of the entire series of Better Call Saul. So a lot of notable stuff, I think. Some big stuff. Summer keeps turning along. We'll be talking about it all. Go to youtube.com slash nostalgiapod and hit that subscribe and go to our Twitter at Nostalgic Pod and follow the podcast there as well. And any way you want to listen to it, catch you next week. Yeah.